Welcome to the first episode in a special three-episode mini-series of The Diversity Imperative. My name is Hannah Conchu, and I'm a grain farmer from Clooney, Alberta. This summer, my co-host Aaron and I are talking to the authors behind the articles and books that inspired us with the hope that you'll consider adding them to your summer reading list. And as always, we are all about stewarding our industry's most important resource, people. And I'm Erin Gowerluck, and I lead a national grower association in the nation's capital. Our goal each episode will continue to be digging into some great conversations that go beyond 280 characters and that seek to inspire a broader dialogue engaging all people in our sector, regardless of gender, race, ethnicity, sexual orientation, or ability. Through rich and candid conversations which consider a variety of perspectives, we look forward to exploring ways to overcome barriers and make diversity and inclusion a topic that everyone is comfortable talking about. Hannah and I are joined by a special guest host for our conversation today. Our partner and friend, Dan Wright, head of Seeds for Syngenta Canada, and our guest on the podcast's first episode back in February. Welcome back to the show, Dan. Thanks very much, uh, Aaron and Hannah. Um, I was really excited about what happened in conversations in season one and um, equally excited about season two and all the conversations and progress that we can make in equality, diversity and inclusion. So thanks very much for um, having me back. I'm excited about uh, these conversations. And we're so pleased to have Syngenta's continued support, uh, allowing us to keep the conversation going. You know, Hannah and I had every intention of hitting the pause button over the summer months and and returning to season two post-harvest, but the feedback that we got from our listeners indicated that this conversation was was too important and that we needed to continue having it. So we're grateful to you and to your colleagues at Syngenta for your continued support. And we wanted to bring you back for this first episode of the Summer Series, Dan, for a few reasons. First, we wanted to get you to reflect for a moment on the conversations that we had in season one and maybe share um, a few of your favorite moments. And then we wanted to to check in with you and see how related initiatives at Syngenta are progressing as part of your organization's diversity, inclusion, and equity journey. And finally, we wanted you to be a part of this conversation today with Dr. Cooper, our special guest, because we felt that her article on what she calls the inclusion imperative for boards is something you can likely relate to, given the work that you led as president of the Canadian Seed Trade Association from 2017 to 2018. So in season one, like you've already mentioned, we had the privilege of hosting a number of great guests. And if your experience was anything like mine, you found that each conversation contained a few a few gems that really spoke to you, that really stuck with you after the conversations were done. So was there a moment or maybe a couple moments that really stood out for you, Dan? Yeah, I was reflecting going back and looking at uh, all the different conversations and they were all awesome. They were uh, deep and, and really meaningful conversations, I thought, um, and connected with people. And I think for me, it's that, how do we help everyone be authentic, authentically themselves all the time? And that's not, that's, that doesn't happen. I think people think that it happens all the time, but how do we break down barriers so everybody, regardless of where you are, can be yourselves on a daily basis? Um, and I'm not sure for me if it's because we're at the, um, you know, when we're recording this, it's 
we're at the end of a month where we've celebrated Pride and Indigenous History Month, um, but both of those episodes were really the ones that stick out for me with uh, Julia Romanoli talking about her journey and launching Pride and Egg Instagram account and Dr. Arcant um, understanding the land were my highlights. Um, I think we have so much work to do in both of those areas. I think a couple examples of that. Jeff Nielsen, who is a really good leader in Canadian agriculture, shared his story recently and in an article, and it was amazing. Um, at the end of the article, he said something about how things will get better. Um, and that highlighted for me, once again, that you know, some people say that being a member of the LGBTQ community might be easier than it was 20 years ago. It is by no means easy. Um, it's just not. And we've seen great stories of people talking about um, how they came out and struggles of coming out to their coworkers or family. And it's just, it's awesome, but it's just highlighted that there's so much more work that we need to do to make it normal. It is normal. Love is love. It doesn't matter about anything else about that. Uh, so how do we normalize that even more? Um, it shouldn't be getting better. It should be normal. Um, so I think that's for me. And then Dr. Arcant um, helped me understand a space that I thought that I had a really good knowledge base. And then the news of the residential schools recently highlighted my need for more learning and personally some guilt about why didn't I know about that? It was, it's, in documents, accountability. Um, I need to learn more and then I need to demand more accountability of people now. So to me, that's two kind of deep reflections, but I thought um, the purpose of the diversity imperative to break some barriers and open some conversations. So I enjoyed going back and reflecting and those are two things that really stuck out for me. I, I agree with you, Dan, and I think that the, the, the timing of some of those conversations was was good just, just in light of some of the recent unfortunate events. I think it shines a necessary light on or brings attention to some of the issues that we need to be taking a closer look at. And um, I have to agree with you, too, that one of my favorite moments was when Julia Romanoli in her episode said how important it is for her to be my authentic self for the benefit of others. I'd never looked at it that way, about how being my authentic self improves my relationship with others, with my teammates and with, with my colleagues. So that was a highlight for me too. And I, I would echo what both of you have said about um, episodes five and six. And with Julia, some of her words were just so clear and have really stuck with me. And another um, really great quote from Julia was that um, being an ally is an action word. So that, that's something that has stuck with me, of course, this month as we celebrate Pride. And as I think about the conversation with uh, Melissa, Dr. Arkand, I, that conversation we, we had with her has really set all of us here at the Diversity Imperative off on uh, a learning journey. And it's going to continue into the summer series, which we'll find um, in our, our next episode. But, but really, that my perspective is shifting based on that conversation that we've had with Melissa. And what I, what I think about and what I see when I look out on the land that I get to farm. So just like you've said, Dan, two really important and, and timely conversations that we got to have with Julia and Melissa. So Dan, when we spoke last February, 
we talked about what Syngenta was doing in this space. And, and I know that since that time, Hannah has had an opportunity to join your Syngenta uh, learning sessions to share her personal journey as it relates to inclusion. And I think it was about a month ago that I had the opportunity to sit down with Syngenta Canada President Trevor Heck for a fireside chat. And, and, and this topic came up as a, as a real priority for him. So I wanted to ask you about what you and your team have been up to since we connected last winter, because Syngenta has certainly had a strong public presence in this space. Yeah, uh, so I think I've talked a lot about my personal journey and uh, Syngenta's on a company journey as we move through. I think it's everybody's on the spot, right? Whether you're a company or, or a person. As um, in Pride Month, I was really happy and enjoyed the number of learnings that we had, conversations, podcasts, internal, um, to learn um, in the LGBTQ and celebrate pride, talking about safe zones, talking about um, pronouns, talking about just so many ways to learn about um, all aspects. And, and the attendance was incredible of people that were coming. It was optional and attendance was was um, very, very high. And when Hannah joined us um, in January for a uh, an all-in, we call it, um, I think we had close to 60% of the organization join again for an optional conversation. Um, and it's really, I think for me, that speaks to where we are in the journey and that it's not um, it's not about what the leadership's doing. It's about how we're making it a foundation of the organization. And um, it's a journey. It's not perfect. Um, but I feel like we're making really good progress uh, in that area. And we, we, a lot has changed. Um, so since um, we last chatted, we formed our chemistry and seed business units. And we're hiring a number of people to facilitate growth in both areas. One of the things that we're doing there is ensuring that when we're hiring these, hiring have new roles, that are job descriptions that we look at them and there's not words in there that make make somebody think that that job's not for them. It's as what it's as opening um, a job description um, so that we don't have any bias, unintentional, built into that. So when somebody looks at it, said, "Hey, I, I can see myself in that role," um, and we're challenging ourselves to look beyond traditional markets or just say, "Hey, there's." that job's traditionally in location A, let's draw from a local area. Um, we've re with COVID, it's been really challenging, but also opportune, um, creates opportunities. So we had moved to working remote and doing a whole new ways of working. And now we have employees from all across Canada, including Vancouver, downtown Toronto, Winnipeg, where we have no offices, but we've, we've had really talented and diverse people join our team and it's making our company better. Um, because we have that diverse talent. So those are just a few things um, that we're working on. And as a leadership group, one of the things that we're challenging ourselves and making sure that we're doing that our work on equality, diversity, and inclusion isn't on slides. It's something we live on a daily basis. Because so many times you see fantastic slides and speaking points, and then people don't live it, and then it's not real and you go backwards. So uh, I'm really proud of the work that we're doing organizational-wide, um, and uh, I think it's making a difference. Well, great. Well, thanks so much for your insights, Dan, and thanks to Syngenta for continuing to do this work. Let's get to our conversation with Dr. Terry Cooper.
As Deloitte's Vice Chair of External DEI, Dr. Cooper focuses on fostering Deloitte's external brand and helping to drive market-facing efforts. Dr. Cooper believes each and every individual has a role to play in creating an inclusive culture. And when she served as Deloitte's Chief Inclusion Officer, she instilled Deloitte's six signature traits of an inclusive leader, such as cultural intelligence and cognizance of bias across the organization. A principal in Deloitte's US consulting practice, Dr. Cooper has spent more than two decades in leadership and strategic advisory roles in the life sciences and healthcare industries. Most recently, she served as Deloitte's global healthcare sector leader in the US. Born and raised in a small town on the Southeast coast of England, Dr. Cooper holds a joint honors bachelor of science degree in chemistry and pharmacology and a PhD in pharmacology from the University of London, UK. Dr. Cooper is a board member for the Simmons University Institute for Inclusive Leadership Strategic, serves on the board of advisors for Catalyst, and was a panelist at the Fortune Most Powerful Women's Summit. We reached out to Dr. Cooper because the article that she co-authored with her colleague, Mike Fucci, inspired Aaron and I, and it stayed at the top of our reading list, and we continued to go back to it and reference it. This article is entitled, The Inclusion Imperative for Boards redefining board responsibilities to support organizational inclusion. This article resonated with the two of us, not just because boards are prevalent in Canada's agriculture sector, I've served on a number of boards and Aaron currently reports to one, but because they have, as the article states, a responsibility to support and solidify an inclusive culture at the organizations that they oversee. Welcome to the show, Dr. Cooper. Thank you, Erin. It's an absolute joy and privilege to be with you here today. Tell us about your story. How did your life and career take you to being the Vice Chair of External Diversity, Equity and Inclusion at Deloitte? That's a great story. So um, probably tell from my accent, I'm from the UK originally. I came from very humble beginnings. My father was a factory worker and my mother was a domestic one of the things that they always wanted to encourage in my sister and I was that education was where the future. Um, so I'm first generation college um, student. I'm the only member, I was first member of my family to go to university, first member of my family to get a PhD. Um, and my whole career has really been specialized in the life sciences healthcare industry. But one of the areas from, a, from very early on, if you think about the number of women at that time in STEM, I always said to myself, I mean, I spent so much of my career feeling excluded that I always said when I have the authority or the power to actually influence the, um, other women, certainly from a STEM perspective, that I really wanted to lean in. And then that became a lot broader and it wasn't just women, it was and individuals, different races, ethnicities, sexual orientation, but this sort of feeling that I really wanted to help to create an environment where individuals, irrespective of their backgrounds, could feel as though they're included. And that got noticed within Deloitte. So I'm a senior partner here at Deloitte. Um, and probably back in 2014 was my first um, role when I was asked to lead inclusion for our consulting business, primarily because of my actions around really trying to create not only diverse, but truly inclusive teams. And that's just evolved over time. I was the chief inclusion officer for the entire US Deloitte firm. And then over the last year, it's evolved again to being the vice chair of external diversity, equity and inclusion, but something that I'm truly passionate about, but I still have uh, half a foot in life sciences healthcare. I still have a lot of client responsibilities there as well. That is a good story. Thank you for sharing. 
So at the opening of your article, the one that we referenced at the top of the show, and we'll provide a link to this in uh, on, on the Diversity Imperative website. Mm-hmm. In the article, you talked about how diversity and inclusion, while not one in the same, are inextricably linked. One can be governed and one cannot. So I thought we'd mm-hmm. start there as a way to set the stage for our conversation with you today. Yeah, so I mean, the way I try and look at diversity and inclusion, I have a a unique little saying, which is that diversity is like being invited to the party. So you get an invite, you come to the party, but inclusion is being asked to dance. And I think people can actually really resonate with that from the point of view. And that's what we say about that one can be governed and the other can't. We can create and boards to a large extent have really focused on increasing the diversity of their members. But that doesn't mean that you've, inc- that you've actually invited people to the dance. Having somebody at the table, you've invited them to the party, but you haven't actually asked them to dance. And so there is that distinct difference around how you need to um, really bring together the thinking of multiple individuals. Um, And that's, and so from an inclusion perspective, it's very much around the behaviors that you embed and those behaviors can be governed, which is what makes that distinction between diversity and inclusion. So I think that we can all agree that inclusion is a good thing. And I think if given a choice, an organization would always want to be inclusive. And for many of us, Erin and I included, we often talk about the business case when we're telling the story of why Uh, diversity and inclusion matter and why it should matter to you in your organization. But there is a a distinguishing feature between an organization that is diverse and one that has a a truly inclusive culture. So why is it important for an organization to truly believe in and promote a culture of inclusivity uh, when they want to also think about their uh, business case for doing so? Yeah, that's great, Hannah. I mean, if we think about the diversity first of all, and we're thinking about how you create a diverse team. It shouldn't just be diversity as it relates to race, ethnicity, gender, sexual orientation. There's a lot of diversity that's required with respect to experiences, social economic background, whether somebody happens to be an introvert, extrovert, et cetera. Um, Primarily because the whole element around the diversity is you want to bring new thinking to the table. So if each and every one of us happens to have the same background and the same experiences and we come from the same social economic background and we all went to the same universities, our ability to bring that diverse thinking is really impended. Um, So, you know, one of the things that we know that if you just in itself, if you can really drive that diversity of thinking, you can drive a significant increase in innovation around about 20%. But you can also take risk out because individuals are going to challenge each other and bring different perspectives. But if we think about the inclusion, then that's really around how you can drive even better outcomes. So you're not only you bring in the diversity of thinking, but with the inclusion, you're actually ensuring that everybody has that opportunity to really share their views. Because one of the, one of the sad things about diversity You can bring all of that thinking together, but it's hard at times for everybody to feel that they're in an inclusive environment where their voice is going to be heard. 
and ultimately where they feel that there's a safe place for them to challenge the status quo and bring a different and collective means of thinking to that. And what we've seen is that if you can take the diversity of thinking, you can embed that with this inclusive environment, then you can really um, enhance the business outcome even further. And companies that do that successfully are two times more likely to exceed their financial targets, three times more likely to be high performing, six times more likely to be innovative and agile, and eight times more likely to drive better business outcomes. So the business case is really clear um, around having that, not only the diversity, but the diversity plus the inclusion really helps to drive um, those overall outcomes. So it's, it's really about capitalizing on the different backgrounds that you have there mm-hmm. and turning that into mm-hmm. a, an inclusive way to operate. So that's really good. So as referenced in um, Aaron's opening remarks, boards are prevalent in the agriculture sector in Canada. And I can only assume it's the, the same for our neighbors to the south. So we really can't talk about culture change without talking about the role that boards play in creating an organizational culture that is both diverse and inclusive. So to get right into the, the, the meat of your article, your research indicated that traditionally boards tend to focus on five key areas of organizational oversight. And those areas are strategy, governance, talent, integrity, and performance. And I would suggest that likely where most of the boards that we've worked with, um, this is where they spend most of their time. So what should boards be doing if they want to shift into what you call an inclusion governance mindset? And if they want to execute, execute inclusion strategies that go beyond diversity to create inclusive cultures at the organization. So let's start with that first one in the list. Strategies. Yeah. yeah. So from a strategy perspective, you know, what we have looked at is there's some sort of fundamental questions that we think we truly believe that boards should be asking themselves as they're thinking about Um, the governance of inclusion from a strategy lens. And those are really around, does the organization have an active working definition of inclusion? And what is their vision from an inclusive culture? So that way it enables an organization to actually think about how do you align with management on the definition? How do you ensure that you're going to drive mandatory or validate the overall management vision strategies and the goals? Um, and ultimately really think about what, what are you going to stand for? But the other question is around how does the business strategy reflect inclusion? So, you know, so much of every one of the businesses is really around ultimately thinking about your external strategy. So if, if you're thinking about doing a significant merger or an acquisition, do you bring an inclusion lens to that? So if you're continuing to really try and drive greater representation in your organization, the board should then be challenging management around if ultimately this acquisition, which is part of our strategic plan, is actually going to have a, a, a detrimental impact on our representation what are the mitigation strategies that we can put in place? What are you doing to actually address that? And so it's really from the point of view of challenging the board around, um, you know, what are the barriers that they might have right now from an unconscious bias perspective? 
and really trying to ensure that as you're thinking about your overall strategy, that those are being addressed as well. So they're like the fundamental things of the strategy at a high level, really ensuring that your the decisions that the management team are going to make, that the board is challenging them from a strategic lens around the impact that it could have on their overall diversity, equity, and inclusion. Does that make sense? Absolutely. It does for sure. And Dan, I want to get you in on this part of the conversation because I know you've been thinking a lot about um, strategy because of your uh, role as past president of the CSTA and now with uh, Seas Canada coming together as a newly amalgamated organization. Um, I guess I would just put it out to you. What, what, um, how have your actions in this new organization been focused around strategy and how has that sort of um, come to light? I think one of the things as Seeds Canada, which is four different organizations, um, comes together and forms this new organization. The Canadian Seed Trade Association had an ad hoc committee on diversity and inclusion. And then in the new organization, they're an official committee reporting to the board. It's got full structure. There's meetings, work plans. Um, what's exciting about it is the diversity and the conversations that are happening around there and then how it's moving up to the board. So I think that's um, exciting for me. I think one of the, and the, the new board of Seeds Canada is one third um, from a gender diversity, one third female and two thirds male. The executive is three out of five are female, um, which is um, great progress, I think. And there, and, and then when you, um, Dr. Cooper, when you talk about some of the other areas are also small companies, large companies, different crop kinds. So not only diversity and by gender, but diversity and crop kinds and locations and stuff is they really did a good job of taking that into consideration, which I think is critical. So they had a lot of those definitions and I think they've done a nice job. I think as I look at other boards, um, and Dr. Cooper, you talk mm -hmm. about in the paper about boards ensuring they have diversity and reflect the organizations. How do we also, and how can boards think about um, not using that to say we do, um, we're not very diverse and use it as a bit of an out and, and organizations and, and certainly in agriculture is becoming more and more diverse. So how do we get boards to reflect what the future of the organization looks like and how do we build pipelines for candidates for boards? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the fundamental things, I'm gonna jump a little bit, when we think about how do you, one of the things in the article we talk about is, is around talent, around the governing talent. And if you really want to think about how do you create more of a diverse or an inclusive board, the board itself also needs to think about how do they embrace what we call are the behaviors to be an inclusive leader. So when we think about talent, we're thinking about how is the board overseeing what management is doing to ensure that you're creating that inclusive culture. But it's just as fundamentally important that the board actually embraces that as well. So ultimately, the board members are walking the talk. And we focus a lot on from a talent lens, and this would be around how do you then think about recruiting new board members as well and looking out to the future it's around, are you creating that inclusive leadership environment? And it's really based around six fundamental leadership traits. Um, and we affectionately at Deloitte refer to them as our six Cs. The first is around how do individuals really demonstrate their personal commitment to inclusion? Um, and so ultimately, even if the board is not that diverse, um, the ability that if you have women, for instance, sitting on the board, 
as the chair of the board, committed to ensuring that they're hearing those voices equally as they might from a male voice, that they're also committed to understand that just because you have three women doesn't mean that those women are speaking on behalf of all women. So actually being aware from the perspective that you haven't just, it's not a tick the box exercise. The second is really, and I think it's really important, is ultimately from the point of view of commitment. So it's one, sorry, um, ultimately around collaborations. So we talked about how do, you, how do you show your personal commitment, but how do you create that collaborative environment? I hear from so many different board members that they're thrilled that the diversity is included, is, has increased, but they're not necessarily, they don't necessarily feel that there is a truly collaborative environment. There's still a little bit of them and us type uh, environment. And so as leaders on the board, if you want to continue to grow that diversity, your ability to demonstrate how you are collaborative and how you create that collaborative environment for new board members is important. You know, it's also key that individuals have a really good understanding of cultural intelligence. How do you actually bring the different cultural perspectives into play? You know, we know in every single business right now, the ability to have individuals that are knowledgeable about cultural differences is going to be critically important. And as you're saying, Dan, that future lens as we continue to expand that ability to think about how do we, from a strategic perspective, make sure that all of our products are really um, uh, that the marketing, the branding is actually reaching out to many individuals of different cultural backgrounds is so important. So having that within the team and that ability to recognize those cultural differences. And that leads to the fourth, which is around having board members that are truly curious, curious about each other, curious about backgrounds, curious around how you could potentially be doing things differently. And then the last two is around being cognizant of your own bias. So if you're in the board meeting, for instance, is cognizant around the fact that maybe you're not as comfortable of um, listening or being um, attentive towards views that come, say, from somebody that may be of a different gender or a different race. And it may just be from a bias perspective, but actually being aware of that so you address it. And the last, um, which I think is perhaps the most important of all, is being courageous and calling out any bad behaviors so that you can truly create that inclusive environment. So, you know, very quickly, the six C's, your personal commitment, being collaborative, culturally intelligent, curious, courageous, and the cognizance bias. And those traits uh, need to be embedded in all board members, as well as in the management organization. I'm, I feel so glad and so lucky that you got to take us through those six uh, traits, Terry. We were thinking that would have to be a bonus conversation with you. So <laughs> thanks so much for taking us through that. I want to ask you, while we're on talent, I want to ask you um, one more thing. So you've, and based on Dan's question, you've, um, you've already touched on how it's important to think about the future and about who, how are you going to acquire talent in terms of who is on your board and who is, um, you know, boots on the ground in your organization. But I want to ask you a bit more about succession planning um, as it relates to our industry. So one, mm -hmm. one challenge that we have is that it's often very hard to find people willing to serve on the boards um, that we have. And so that sort of exacerbates the diversity issue because first we just need somebody willing to step up and, and um, give of their time because they are largely volunteer boards, but they play a, mm -hmm. a critical role. So I've run into this um, I'll call it a challenge that oftentimes 
there is not a desire to do the work, to use those competency matrix, matrices that you've referenced. Mm -hmm. So it's much easier for people to go out and quote unquote, tap somebody on the shoulder to come serve as opposed to using the, that set of competencies to find someone to serve on the board. If you mm -hmm. could, I would just love to know your thoughts about how, how that can be problematic, how not using those, that lens to, to think about future board members um, could be sort of critical to your success in, in, in finding a diverse board. Yeah, I mean, the sad thing is if, if ultimately, and I completely understand if, if ultimately you're just going to tap somebody on the back, and I can, I totally understand the difficulty, is that each of us have our own unique network of individuals. And it is more than likely that the individual that we're going to tap on the back could be like an, a mini me of us because, you know, we have to really hold ourselves accountable. I mean, one of the things we talk about from a collaboration perspective is we ask leaders to step back and to think about who are the 10 individuals that they interact with most frequently in a, on a business day. And if you put the name, write the names down and then look and say, okay, how diverse is that group of individuals? How much does that reflect you know, mini-me's? Are they all white women? Are they all white women from the UK? Then, then that ultimately um, doesn't help us because, you know, we're, we're basically just creating the mini-me's of ourselves. And so that's the, that's the big concern I have when you just tap somebody on the shoulder because it happens to be somebody that you, you know, you meet in social circles, et cetera. So, you know, one of the things that we've really been focusing on is that, and we use this term all the time, which we knew we won't be new to you, but you've got to be intentional. And ultimately, if we say, okay, we need to move away from this tapping on the shoulder. We need to be intentional about what are the skills that we absolutely need to, um, to recruit? And are we really putting the right level of effort to actually create that level of diversity and, and to actually bring in from an inclusive perspective? It's not easy to do, but so much of it is going to be around, ultimately, if somebody comes to be interviewed um, or meets the board, the board, the board members themselves have got to exude these characteristics so that they're creating an environment that's actually going to attract individuals. And I think it's a little bit, I mean, it's, it's difficult, like which, which comes first, the chicken or the egg? Because you've got to have some brave individuals that are going to say, I'm actually going to take this on and we're going to create a culture within our board that will enable us then to attract more diverse group of, a group of individuals. So it's not easy, but I just think you have to be so careful around just tapping somebody on the shoulder because you're truly not living up to the aspirations of, of driving that greater diversity um, as it relates to thought experiences, et cetera. You've touched on some of this already, Terry, but but let's talk a bit more about what boards can do to ensure that they govern and operate with an inclusion inclusion lens. Yeah, I mean, I think you know we talked a little bit about the strategy and the talent, but there's also elements around governance, around integrity, and around performance. So if we think about performance first of all, you know, ultimately it's really ensuring that management has clearly defined goals that they are actually holding their leaders accountable to um, as it relates to actually creating um, both diverse and inclusive teams themselves. And so actually governing um, management around all other elements around their performance as it relates to talent, um, really um, digging in to look at 
um, the governance of um, the progression of individuals from a talent life cycle. You know, how many people do you retain, do you advance? Are you actually able to drive greater representation across all levels in your organization? The board should be looking to actually um, have that data available to them so that they can challenge management. That management actually is held accountable for their own specific metrics, and particularly the most senior leaders, and those are tied to their financial compensation. The other elements around performance is thinking about your overall um, you know, let me use an example, I'm not as familiar with the agriculture industry, but if you use the consumer industry, it's really governing to say, is it look at your overall products um, that ultimately you're driving your performance? How diverse or how inclusive are those products? Do you actually have a strategy that enables you to reach different populations in an equal way? So if you happen to be um, a car manufacturer, you know, do your products, the way in which you promote them and brand them, et cetera, are they only going to be attractive towards a straight, straight white male? You know, ultimately, what are you doing to ensure that you truly have a diverse and inclusive um, view around how you're actually promoting your overall products? And that's important because that is then tied to governance as it relates to the integrity of your brand. So if you think about, I mean, we've all seen so many horror stories of where brands have made some real missteps around how they tackle this issue. And right now, that ability to govern and to ensure that every element of a business's um, performance is really focused on that integrity. Because that integrity, it's not only important from a financial perspective, but I think we're all aware of the fact that younger generation now, they will actually look at every single brand, irrespective of whether it's agriculture, whether it's consumer, whether it's life sciences, and they will do their homework to understand, you know, what is the integrity behind that organization? What is their, you know, certainly their, um, their carbon footprint? You know, where do they actually do their manufacturing? How do they drive it? So all of that from the point of view of the, of the board being aware around how you're going to govern that component is critically important as well. So, you know, it comes across there and, and absolutely everything around, do you have that inclusive lens when you're thinking about your strategy as it relates, for example, to acquisitions? Do you have an inclusive lens when you think about all of the governance boards that you have, whether it's governing succession planning within an organization, whether it's govern, governing the financial investments, et cetera? How does that, you know, one of the key things that I think many boards have to be aware of is even when you're doing your pension planning, the organizations you're working with, are they organizations that have strong integrity? Because if ultimately you've invested in that particular organization and they happen to be on the front page of the Globe and Mail next week around you know, sexual harassment or something's happened, then ultimately that's not going to look good, whether it's you know, um, any of your companies where ultimately that have they done the right level of due diligence there. So there's the governance in, in that in that part. So I know that's a lot, but it, it just, it just, it, it is exhibited in absolutely everything you do. Hence the reason that we're now saying that it's, it's critical that you have that inclusion lens across all of these different um, parameters. Thank you very much, Terry. And you've touched on something too, that makes me think about how we recruit that talent. And so the idea of diversity, equity, and inclusion 
also being an organization's competitive advantage to a certain extent when you talk about brand, but also mm-hmm. in the way in which in our ability to acquire talent, right? It's a competitive environment. And so if Absolutely. you can't demonstrate that you're going to put your money where your mouth is, then you mm-hmm. may not necessarily be able to acquire um, top talent for your organization. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you have any comments on, on, the, on that. Yeah, no, I mean, that's to, to me, that's the most fundamentally important component, you know, and certainly for us as a professional services firm, if we don't live up to these core values, we're not going to recruit the best talent. Um, and we know there's sort of a talent war out there. And so, you know, what we're also very aware of is that organizations now need to be incredibly more transparent around the makeup of their own, own organization. So again, a role for the board to think about how are we going to govern our ability to actually share data not only internally and or externally around the overall representation, around um, you know, pay equity, et cetera. All of that is becoming so critically important from a management perspective. And so the board to actually ensure that that's being governed appropriately and to think about the amount of data that will be shared. Because um, I think we were all astute when we tried to, when we applied to companies, but um, younger individuals now, our Generation Zs, really do a ton of homework as it relates to who they want to work for and what is their overall reputation. Um, and is it equitable? Is it an equitable environment for individuals, irrespective of their ethnicity, their race, their, their gender, sexual orientation, et cetera? Thank you. I, I know, Hannah, you, you were going to jump in with another question, but I wanted to circle back for a moment to, to Dan, um, just to react to some of what you said with respect to, to governance. Yeah, I think all of the, it's been a fascinating conversation, um, first of all. Um, and I think on, on the governance aspect and, you know, getting all of those things right, but back to your six C's, um, it can break down if we aren't, if the board and, and the people that are leading the organization fail um, along all those six C's. I think that's, for me, uh, really fascinating to think about because mm-hmm. I think all the strategies and it implemented or we talked earlier actually uh, today about um, great slides, but the six C's is about the implementation and how we show up every day. And so I'd like to get a couple more of your thoughts around that because I, I, I see that as where it breaks down many times and then people and boards wonder what happened, but it's really on the six C's. Yeah, no, absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more, Dan. So if we think about those six C's, think about you know having a diverse board, but if it's not really a collaborative board and if people don't necessarily feel as though they can share their views or the environment is created for them to have a counter, a counter view, and let's say the board chair always shuts everything down, it doesn't matter how diverse your board is unless the board chair themselves or other leaders are prepared to say, I am actually going to really allow individuals to share a different point of view and to challenge the status quo. And what we see quite often is that women or um, people of color, um, different you know, ethnic backgrounds, Hispanic, Latinx, Native American, et cetera, that it's very hard for them to get the voice. They get the, they get the position on the board, but it's still very difficult to actually get a recognition, 
And so the question then is, well, why did, why did you bring that somebody to the board? Are you just doing a tick the box exercise so that when you can report out and say 30% of our board, board members are women, 50% or 60% of our board members are women or um, minority individuals. But unless you're creating that environment, you actually haven't changed anything. Um, you know, it's ultimately a seat around the table. And so that ability to ensure that you're creating that inclusive environment, that individuals want to have the collaboration, that they're curious about other people's experiences and they're going to listen to what they can bring to the table around that cultural intelligence, but also having the courage other board members to actually call out bad behaviors. If somebody's trying to make a point of view and they're not being listened to, is somebody to say, hey, hang on a second, you know, I think Aaron has a really important contribution to make here. And being thoughtful around a number of the board committees as well, around how do you structure those so that you're actually leveraging that diversity of thinking as well. But, I, but I'm with you, Dan. I think it's that those six Cs, those leadership behaviours, are really the make or break of truly having a successful board that is going to govern in this in this particular area and really challenge the thinking and, and provide the, the oversight for management teams. So we're getting to the, the end of these five areas of oversight, but I want to take a minute to focus in on integrity. And you've already, you know, woven this into all of your comments so far, Terry, but really, I guess, in, to summarize it, it's how you as an organization are holding yourself accountable. But something that has not been the way that I've been thinking so far is about sort of your, the, your organization's external um, perception to stakeholders, to people that might want to work in your organization, uh, to current employees. So why does this matter um, in terms of your overall inclusion strategy. But of course, it's not from a performative side of things. You want people to, to really understand and see what your values are when it comes to inclusion. So can you talk a bit about that, the internal brand versus the, your uh, organization's external brand? Yeah, I mean, so I actually think the two are so closely aligned now. So, you know, maybe in the past, there was more of a intentionality around thinking about the, the internal brand and thinking about how are we going to truly create a diverse and inclusive environment there. But if you think about everything that's happened, I mean, it started even before the horrendous murder of George Floyd. But if you think about everything that's happened over the last two years, two, two and a half years, your external integrity is so critically important, that external brand. Um, you know, so many companies have really been challenged by their ability to really listen to what is required externally and how they need to show up, whether it's inappropriate advertising, um, whether it's the way in which they're not diverse enough in supporting, say, for example, athletes or whatever that might be. And so that's where the board having this ability to think about at the end of the day, what do we want to be known for? And how do we ensure that not only internally do we have a really strong brand as it relates to our integrity, but external, which is one of the reasons I use that example around, you know, the external relationships you have as well, from the perspective that if ultimately um, you're working very close with another organization that suddenly is on the front page that is going to have these days will have a profound effect on your own personal brand as well. 
And so thinking about those collaborations, thinking about those strategic partnerships, governing what the ultimately what the outcome of that might look like is going to be really critically important as well. Well, thank you very much, Terry, for joining us for this important and really inspiring conversation. Thank you also, Dan, for returning to the diversity imperative and for your ongoing support and engagement. And to our listeners for tuning into the first episode of the Diversity Imperative Summer Series. Hannah and I look forward to our next conversation in a few weeks' time. Until then, have you been enjoying the Diversity Imperative podcast? Do you have any feedback to send? Let us know by visiting our website, diversityimperative.ca. And if you've been enjoying the podcast, please share it with a friend. The conversation continues with Hannah and I online. You can find us at Diversity in Ag on Twitter and at Diversity Imperative on Facebook and Instagram. Bye.